Hi, wife of Max. <laughs> Again? Yes, of course. Okay. This has been a very interesting week um, for me, and it really brings focus, as, as every unforeseen tragedy does, doesn't it, to the, to the principles of the scripture and, and eternity and life becomes so crystal clear when close friends of yours die. Yesterday I was at the funeral of a 41-year-old disciple who uh, leaves behind a wife and three little kids, uh, not all that little, but young. Uh, he was my co-worker in the reef of Morocco and died of brain cancer. And there was a great celebration of life for Travis. And on the way home uh, last Sunday from being with you, I got a, a text that um, another disciple, a young man who actually served me for a year in Morocco as my uh, assistant, um, and then introduced him to his wife, and they married, and they were thinking they were called to North Africa to serve, and uh, he fell off a mountain and died in a climbing accident last Sunday um, morning, and leave behind, leaves behind uh, three young kids. It is, um, but that's life, isn't it? Because life involves termination of this biological existence and one day it will be biological again after a season, won't it? It will be redeemed in our bodies. And uh, so it brings great significance to me as I consider people like Everett who seek the Lord with all that they have, as Daryl reminded us this morning, it's not the return it's the faithfulness on, on what you are given. It's the, re, it's the faithfulness in using what you have at this moment. Sort of reminds me, I didn't consider thinking about this, but you remember that, how many of you remember um, um, uh, the Holy Grail, this foolish, silly movie from uh, Great Britain? Monty Python and the Holy Grail and the, and the dark night of the forest meets... Uh, the protagonist, and he, he says, come at me, and he's got his sword, you remember, I'll fight you with every inch of my, and he has a, an arm that's cut off, and he says, come at me, I'll get you with my right hand, and he cuts his legs off, and he says, come at me, I've still got my right hand, that's cut off, and he says, come at me, I'll bite you. <laughs> Just until the end, fighting for the glory of something, in our case, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ and his fame among all peoples. Um, I would like to read uh, Psalm 27, from which we're, uh, we're going to meditate on this morning. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The King James says, whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me, to devour my flesh, my adversaries, and my enemies. They stumbled and they fell. Though a host encamp against me, the war rise against me, in spite of this I shall be confident. One thing, one thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, to meditate in his temple. And in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. 
and he will lift me up on a rock. Now my head will be lifted above my enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have arisen against me, and such as breathe out violence. I would have despaired. Unless I had believed, I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Praise God. What a passage. I was thinking about last week um, as we meditated in Psalm 103. And you remember uh, there were two main points. One was that... uh, God intends for us, firstly, not to forget, because we have these, these Teflon memories in our heart, and we're inclined in this way. We have, we have Velcro's memory when it comes to evil and to bad things that are said of us and, and lies. And the other point, of course, was that we need to speak to ourselves what is true, the mighty works of God. I was thinking on this and thinking, well, in what sense? Because we see the same ideas in Psalm 27 today, I forgot to mention something, and that is that this speaking to ourselves is not some 21st century Zen um, uh, habit of convincing ourselves of something. It's not like that. This speaking to ourselves what is true, why are you despised, why are you despair, O my soul, Hope thou in God. Remember that? Psalm 42. This habit of speaking to ourselves the mighty works of God and what is true is done in the presence of God. I was walking with my my grandson in the woods yesterday with Judson. And um, I've taught Judson so many things about the woods. and, and, And I say, talk to me, Judson. And he begins to recite as we're walking along the... Well, each of the trails has a name. There's Grandpa's Trail, there's Gigi's Trail, there's Eli's Trail, there's the Glory Way. Each of the grandkids have a trail named after them. And we were on Judson's Trail. And he began, he said, Grandpa, that's a maple tree. It's a big leaf maple, as distinguished from the vine maple over here. And you'll notice that there's a canopy under which no Douglas firs will grow. Because there's, a, there's, there's not only the shading, but there's also a chemical reaction that, that works against it. And by the way, this is a alder, red alder. You notice the cones? It's not a pine cone, Grandpa. It's, Grandpa, it's an alder cone. And Grandpa's going, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's speaking to himself what is true in the presence of his Grandpa. What he knows to be true. Men and women, that's what David does in Psalm 103 and Psalm 27 again. He speaks to himself what is true, what God has taught him, 
and what is true of the situation in the presence of God. There's the difference between our secular friends who affirm themselves about who they are and the godly man and woman who affirms themselves, speaking to them what is, them what is true from the scriptures. I just wanted to make that clear. Um, we have, again, some general observations about Psalm 27. Psalm 27 is not like, uh, it's an attribute, it's not attributed to a sit historical situation. The, the Hebrew simply says it is of David. David wrote it. Now we can look back on things in the life of history and in the war of history and in the attacks by the enemies and know that this had to have been a very common theme of David, uh, which he addressed here, being attacked by enemies, surrounded by adversaries, people that wanted to come and eat him alive. Literally, it says that. Um, this psalm weaves back and forth between speaking what is true to himself. The Lord is my light, light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Who's he talking to? Well, of course, to his readers, but he's talking to himself in the presence of God. This psalm weaves back and forth between that type of activity and outright prayer and complaint to God. Back and forth. Speaking to himself, verses 1 to 6, verse 10, and 13 and 14. Prayers to Yahweh, verses 7 to 9, 11 and 12. It's very interesting how God receives, and I use the word complaint. It's very interesting. The word complaining to God is found in at least three different citations of Davidic Psalms. And God honors that. God loves it. Look at Psalm 34. This man cried out to the Lord. The Lord saved him out of all his, his difficulties. I was uh, talking to the father-in-law, close friend of mine, uh, Brian, who died, fell off the mountain last Sunday. And uh, I was with the widow on Tuesday and with her kids and, uh, and the dad. My friend said, you know, Steve, over these last two days, it's been... Um, very comforting to know that God can handle my anger at him. My expressions of anger and my sorrows. That's the book of Psalms. That's Psalm 27. I'm grateful I can bring every burden, every anger to the Lord. The psalmist teaches us, again, general observations, that he receives every worried, desperate, emotional prayer that results from any human condition. Look at the text itself. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense or the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? From the New American Standard and the King James. Um, isn't it interesting that the Lord, that David recites to himself or recalls Attributes of God that he's experienced. The Lord is my light. Psalm 36. The light of the Lord. In your light we see light. Salvation. Psalm, uh, well, Psalm 34. It's all over the place. You're my salvation. You're my salvation. I have no other place to turn. And it recalls that. And then the other attribute, you're the stronghold of my life. You're the strength of my life. You're the bulwark of my life. Same word in the Hebrew. 
This is in verse 2. Very interesting. Psalm 18, you read that, Phil, or cited, recited it. I, I can't recall. You mentioned it. Oh, you read 2 Samuel 22, which was a prayer of David later in his life, which he repackaged, re-edited, and made into Psalm 18. And incidentally, you know that Psalm 18, verse 1, is the only place in the Bible where someone says, I love you, Lord. Isn't that interesting? The only place. Now, Jesus had to solicit it from Peter. Of course, I love you, Lord. But the only place where it says, I love you, Lord. And that's the major edit that David did for the Psalms from 2 Samuel 22. Why did I mention that? Um, Right, right, it's from the text. Um, the Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Look at this, very interesting. Verse 1 says, whom shall I fear? Verse 1a, verse 1b says, whom shall I dread? You think about this, and you look at the next two verses, and you see that David describes various circumstances. Um, enemies came, and they tried to devour his flesh. Cannibalism. They were that angry at David, but they stumbled and fell. That's real. Then he says in verse 3, a host of enemy armies are encamped against him. That's potential. He anticipates the war that's coming, just like in Psalm 108, where David is on the battlefield before Edom and Moab, anticipating the day, the day's fight. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, bit, but it hasn't happened yet. There's a dread that comes over men and women. I remember um, a grandfather once gave counsel to his grandson. He said, Sup, grandson, I've had many trials in my life, and most of them never happened. <laughs> What's that mean? How many of us are besieged by the dread of what could happen and are paralyzed by fear of the potential? Dread. It's like a wave that comes over you sometime, isn't it? Oh, man, men and women, how I've sought to discern real fear from dread that the enemy whispers in the ear of what could happen, what might happen. Say, no, no, no. Whom shall I dread? And then there's this fascinating, I think it's fascinating, the transition from verse 3 to 4 is just like that passage, Daryl, you know, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, where David or Paul recites the, the sin, the corruption, the satanic work against us and how we're lost. And then verse 2 says, but God. <laughs> but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ, seated us with him at the right hand of God. Okay, David does the same thing in a way. Completely unexpected response to all these cannibalistic attacks, which are real. It's sort of like the man who walked into the store in Castle Rock. This French man with a frog on his head. And the, the guy at the store says, hey, buddy, where'd you get that thing? 
And the frog answered, I got him in France. They're all over the place there. <laughs> Completely unexpected response to the situation. That's the essence of humor, isn't it? But it's not humorous here. Let me ask you this question. If you had, were against a, a, a outnumbered by an enemy, and you're the general, and they've got better weapons, they've got better whatever that one uses in war, and it's overwhelming. What is your first prayer to the Lord going to be? Give me bigger guns. <laughs> Give me more army. Give me strength, because I'm going to get whooped. But what does David do? And here's the idea of this morning. One thing I've asked of the Lord for more troops, and this I shall seek. I'm going to go get them. Here it comes, frog on the head. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. To meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent he will hide me. Men and women, what we need most is not bigger armies. We need intimacy daily with the Lord Jesus Christ. One thing, if you're going to seek one thing, it's not a better bailer. It's a better relationship with Jesus. It's not getting more things done. It's intimacy with the Lord. One thing I have sought, this I shall seek, to, be, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And listen to this. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Very interesting thing. All the days of my life. Every day of my life. Contrast that. Have you ever heard that phrase or something very close to it at the end of Psalm 23? And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. What? Forever. But there's a difference. Dwelling in the house of the Lord forever speaks of eternity, doesn't it? It speaks of my destiny. Psalm 27, verse 4, speaks of now, this life. Every day I will seek the presence of the Lord, that I may dwell there. I want to live there. Very interesting, David's choice of words in this psalm. David uses terms that only Samuel used. Samuel had an incredible influence on David. And mind you, they didn't have, but as far as I can tell in Scripture, only two occasions together. There was that anointing in Bethlehem, and there was, as he was fleeing Saul, he sought out Samuel. Remember, and I, I take it from the text that they had maybe seven days, maybe ten days together. Long enough for four different sets of emissaries from Saul to come up and to uh, capture David. But the Lord was so protective of that special time that Samuel had with David, just the two of them apparently, that he, it was really hilarious. You remember the passage, don't you? They tried to come with weapons of war to grab David. And the war, the Lord, well, to use parlance, Pentecostal parlance, he slayed them in the spirit. And they, they were prophesying, these soldiers, Saul's emissaries. And finally, in the end, Saul himself was overcome 
by the Spirit as he protected that time, that special week to 10 days between David and Samuel. So, what did they do? Well, we'll get to that just in a minute, but look at the verse, the terminology David used before the building of the temple. Terminology which, which describes the place where the presence of the Lord is. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Men and women, who is it that dwells in the house of the Lord? Well, Psalm, Psalm 84 says it's sparrows and swallows. And the, the Levite just longed to be a swallow who dwelt in the house of the Lord. Remember that passage? Psalm 84. The house of the Lord. So he's referring in this case the, uh, the tabernacle, uh, particularly the ark, I think. To behold the beauty of the Lord. That's what he's doing. He's meditating on Jesus, as it were. On the character of God, the magnificence. Other translations say the wonderfulness of the Lord. To meditate on it. To meditate in his temple. Really interesting, men and women. Here's David using the word temple before there's a temple. Just like Samuel did. For Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. Samuel referred to the presence of the Lord as his temple. And in that, his situation is usually the, um, was usually the, uh, the place where the ark was. As Samuel had this, this uh, Levitical liberty to go and sleep before the ark of the Lord. David did the same thing. Do you remember in, uh, when Bathsheba's firstborn with David died after the death as he fasted and prayed for the Lord to please give him healing? It says, after he learned of the death of his son, he went in before the Lord. Now we'll get to this in just a minute. But the Lord so, David so loved the presence of God that this is what he sought. And he sought it, he says, it's the first thing in his life. Verse 5, for in the day of trouble he will conceal me where? In his tabernacle. Referring to the whole assembly of the, the tabernacle that Moses built. In the secret place of his tent. That place of intimacy, secret, just him and the Lord. He will hide me there. And he will lift me up on a rock. And this is very interesting. How David spoke of such intimacy in the midst of battle. He would flee to the Lord when things were worse. Again, Psalm 108. He's before Edom and Moab. Things had not gone well, apparently, the day before in the battle. Because Paul, uh, David says, uh, Why have you abandoned us, O Lord? Why have you turned your face against us? And yet, what did David do? Did he get up with his generals before the battle at dawn and go over the plans for the day? This troops will, those troops will go there, you'll go there, and then you'll throw your archers. No, it says, my heart is, David got out his lyre, and before dawn, he began to worship the Lord. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast, O oh God. I will sing, I will sing praises to even with my soul. My heart is steadfast, O oh God. For thy loving kindness is great unto the heavens, and thy mercies even to the sky. 
I will awaken the dawn. I will sing praises to my God among the nations. The enemy is probably hearing these praises to Yahweh across the battlefield. What is that noise? Shut it down. It's sleep time. But there's David. He sought firstly the presence of God. Oh, what a testimony for us men and women. I mentioned how Samuel was a, uh, a great influence on David. Uh, we saw it here in choice of vocabulary. I think David had Levite envy. Why do you say that, Steve? Because he behaved like a Levite. He spoke the language of a Levite. The presence of the Lord, the tabernacle, seeking God. Remember that passage that says that in the times of David, people sought the ark of the Lord. Remember that? I can't recall exactly the passage. David certainly did. Look at what he did. David, after he had his, his house, in the, house of, in, the, in the city of David, that is a, the southern suburb of what is now Jerusalem, sort of a hill, he built his house. And then he built a tent next to his house. And he took the initiative. He's not a Levite. He didn't see this in the Bible. But he took the initiative to bring the representation of God's presence on earth up and put it in a tent next to his house. You recall this? One of, his, one of the most noteworthy acts that when he, after he had formed, gone to Jerusalem. He tried to bring up the Ark of the Lord from Ramah. And of course he blew it. He didn't do it right. And uh, Isaiah, was it? Uh, died. Who was it? Isaiah. Yes. Died before the, uh, the Ark because he touched it. And then David, after he saw that he read his Bible a bit more, Next time he brought it up the right way. What does it say he did? He joined the Levites in a fine linen robe wearing a linen ephod. He didn't sit on his throne and say, yes, yes, he danced before the Lord. His wife didn't like that, you recall. But he said, no, I don't care. I'm going to worship the Lord just like a Levite. What did he do? Well, you recall, he wanted to, uh, to build the house of the Lord, didn't he? And the Lord said, no, too much blood on your hands. I've got it in store for your son. So what did David do? He loved the presence of the Lord so much, he went to work and, and gathered materials, wood, stone, metal, bronze, gold, for the formation of... For, and, and the plans, we find this in 1 Chronicles 13 and 27, 23, that the plans that David and Samuel had devised for both the, the temple and for the organization of the Levites was David's idea. It wasn't, it wasn't um, Solomon. It says, in, and then you come to 1 Samuel 28. Oh, what an interesting chapter. David has spent, I, I calculate, maybe the last half of his work in Jerusalem in gathering a warehouse full of materials that Solomon would use. And in Psalm, uh, 1 Chronicles 28, he calls all of Israel for a celebration 
of a dedication of a warehouse of stuff that he would never build with. But he made the plans. And it said in that, path, in that chapter, he presented it to his son Solomon. Both the plans and the materials. Oh, David loved the presence of the Lord so much that he wanted that for us as well and for Jews that followed him. Wow. Well, how do we respond to this? I think the Lord would have us to be like David in verse 3. In verse 4. One thing, one thing, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I shall seek. It's a, when you're energetic and young, not a whole lot of responsibility, maybe as, as much as you might have when you have a family and such. It's, it's, I mean, it's wonderful to seek the Lord. I can go fast, go up in the mountains and spend time with Jesus and read Christian books in my Bible. Then life comes along and, and you've got bales of hay to make. You've got, you've got uh, speeders to catch along I-5. You've got... Uh, uh, administration of UPS as it's changing and, and uh, boxes, they come every day and I've got to deal with that. And life gets complicated. I think there is, and you don't see this in David, but I think there's a tendency to maybe grow a little callous, cynical, bruised, jaded, and to forget a former passion for the presence of God. I was thinking about this on the way down. You recall it says in Exodus that uh, after Moses had spent time in the presence of the Lord up on the mountain for 40 days twice, remember what happened? He had this glow on his face, the Shekinah glory of God. And in order to not freak everybody out, he put a veil on when he walked among the people so they wouldn't be, whoa, what is that? Shiny face. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is interesting because it says, as time went on, the Shekinah began to wear off. And Moses began to wear the veil so that the Israelites wouldn't know it, that it was diminishing. Very interesting. I wonder, men and women, how many of us, as, age, as the decades go by, grow automatic, grow uh, callous, grow cynical, forgetting, forgetting, and not seeking, as David did, the presence of the Lord with all of your heart. Did David do that in the end? Oh, men and women, you bet he did. You know, that prayer of 1 Samuel 22 is one of the last two songs that David used, and it's a prayer, isn't it? David's passion ran to the end. Yeah, well, well, he never had... Well, David piled up his sins through life, men and women, both in the beginning of his life and, the, and throughout and end. Remember at the very end of his life, what happened? I think I'm going to number my troops. It says that 72,000 Israelites died because of David's stupidity and arrogance and pride. 
I think I can spend the night with Bathsheba back at the beginning. Who will know? David had so much for which he was thankful to the grace of God for. Men and women, it doesn't matter what's happened in your life. Seek now the forgiveness, the, the release, and the presence of the Lord. Now and until the end. And you're sitting in a rest home and you've got, and you can hardly sit up in your wheelchair, but you've got Answers in Genesis magazine in your fingers and you're just smiling and rejoicing in the Lord. I want to be like that. It was, uh, there was a, um, there was a survey taken at, at a gathering of 50 evangelical leaders. I don't know exactly when this was. I think it was two decades ago. And Christianity Today took this survey, the magazine, and they discussed uh, the next generation of Christian leaders. And these older, lever, older leaders asked the question, what is at the top of their list of what should be passed on to the next generation? They said this, the cultivation of the inner life with Christ is the most important thing to pass on to the next generation. And guys, these were very sensitive, cultural, uh, expert preachers of the Bible. Most of them with doctor's degrees, saying that the number one resource to pass on to the next generation is the cultivation of the inner life with Christ, that one thing. Why? It was surmised by the authors that this, of that article is that this is the motor that drives everything else. If the motor dies, it doesn't matter which way the car is pointed. Make it that one thing yours, the presence of God. Regulate your life in such a way. Order your life. Say no to other things, but don't say no to that. And be like David. I preach to myself, men and women. Make that your passion, your one thing, that not forever will you dwell in the house of the Lord. Yes, that's going to happen if you know Christ. But that every day you will dwell in the house of the Lord. Verse 4. My dear brother, and I end with this. My dear brother, uh, Ted, whom I talked about last week. He's a, he's a Nigerian team leader that... Um, I'm accountable for uh, in eastern Libya. And uh, what a model he is. And uh, just so diligent. He's in prison now for his faith. He's now in his, moving into his third month in prison. And a Libyan prison is, is not a happy place. I wondered, as I did last week, you remember, what's he do every morning? Well, I know exactly what he does every day. It was Ted and his wife and three kids that arrived on their way back to the field. This was now about eight, nine years ago. They arrived back in the field. They arrived in Tunisia in order to, to get on a, a flight to Tripoli. And the police said, no, you're not. You don't have the right paperwork. He had flown from Nigeria. Ted does not casually fly anywhere. And uh, they turned him back after he spent a week in the airport trying to hang out, hoping they'd change their mind. He went back to Libya, uh, to Nigeria, and then he went black. I'd text him, and he wouldn't respond. I thought, what's going on? Two weeks later, 
I get a phone call at 2 in the morning. And he says, Steve, this is Ted. I'm back home in Benghazi, Libya. Whoa, how'd that happen? Well, I slept a night in Nigeria when I got back there, and then we hopped on, all of us hopped on a bus to northern Nigeria. Then we got a Toyota and crossed Niger, and then we had to change, and we found a Toyota with a secret compartment in the bottom of it. We crossed the Libyan border, went through, had to change cars about three times, and we evaded the security guards and made our way all the way back to Benghazi. And here we are. We're going back to work. <laughs> I said, Lord, make me like this man. Make me like this man. How did he get the wherewithal for that? I'll tell you where it comes from. It comes from seeking the presence of Jesus every morning. At this time of year, it's at about 5.30 or 6. He gets up, wakes the kids up. Hey, get out of bed. His wife is up. Everybody walks into the room, the living room, because I'm there watching. I'm up too. And they've all got sleepy in their eyes. The kids are sort of stumbling in. And then they begin walking around the table in the middle of the living room. Who has the final way? Jesus has the final way. And then sing praise to the Lord for the next half hour. And then they open up the Bible and they, they recite psalms to one another and they read from the scriptures. Then they read a devotional. Then they have prayer for Steve and the parents and the family and for Libyans who need to know Jesus. That's where it comes from, men and women. One thing I have sought that I shall seek. I've asked of the Lord that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Um, COVID was a very productive time for me. It was a wonderful time, was it not? <laughs> um, I was stuck most of the time in Northern Ireland and uh, had a wonderful time of reflecting on the Psalms and uh, composing some new expressions of joy to him. Let me share one of them based upon Psalm 27. Never done it in this key. We'll see what happens. Lord, show your marvelous, faithful love to me. When I'm surrounded by the devil and the enemy. And Lord, prepare a table and a feast for me. When I am in the presence of my enemies. I praise you, Lord, oh, to behold your beauty. I seek you, Lord, and meditate on you. I hide in you, in your secret place, Lord. I cry to you, because you'll deliver me. You're my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? When waves of dread sweep over me, I cry out with tears. And though there's darkness, lies, and demons all around, you prepare a feast for me, put me on the solid ground. I praise you, Lord, or to behold your beauty. I seek you, Lord, 
can meditate on you. I hide I in you, in your secret place, Lord. I cry to you, because you deliver me. Oh, I cry to you, because you deliver me. Okay, I'll do it one more time. I cry to you, because you deliver me. Lord, what a delight you are. We meditate on you. We give you thanks and praise for you deserve it all. And Lord, help each one of us to make that our ambition, to be pleasing you by seeking your presence. First of all, in Jesus' name, amen.